0: Hello and welcome to the HemeCast for World Haemophilia Day 2022. This year's theme is Access for All, Engaging Your Government, Integrating Inherited Bleeding Disorders International Policy. And I'm delighted to be joined today by Agnes, who is the Chairperson of the Haemophilia Foundation of Uganda. I'm very privileged to have been able to visit Agnes and her team and people with haemophilia in Uganda on several occasions over probably about the last 10 years. And what I've seen during that time has been a huge improvement in access to treatment, in recognising people with bleeding disorders and being able to diagnose them, and in raising the profile of people with bleeding disorders on national policy, working with the government and improving access through policymakers to care. Hopefully that will be sustainable and equitable as we move forward in the next few years. So Agnes, lovely to speak to you again, and please just do introduce yourselves to us.
1: I'm Agnes Ksachia, and I work with the Hemophilia Foundation of Uganda as the Executive Secretary. I've worked with the foundation for over 10 years now, and um, my connection is about my... um, my nephew, Jovan, who has hemophilia factor nine deficiency. Um, we got to know about his condition around 2004. Of course, with just a little information about it all, but that's when we got to understand that he's having a bleeding disorder. So since then, I've worked with uh, the foundation to identify other cases. And also formalizing, making uh, working with the with the um, uh, NGO board. Uh, of course we got full recognition by the national NGO board in 2013, but um before that we were working uh but as a family and uh, humbly looking for cases. Uh, in different ways, using different means, through health workers, through PR, on peer. So that is my journey. And to date, we have registered quite a number of patients uh, in the different regions of the country. Yeah.
0: And do you know how many patients you've now got registered?
1: Yes, uh, we have registered over 310 patients. Uh, but. We started with four patients. (laughs) I think by the time Kate and Mike came to Uganda, we had um, about four to eight patients. So I'm very happy to see that the numbers kept on growing with the support from our, our different partners and also the community that we work with, they've really helped to identify other cases. But of course, we know that we, we we know the expected number of cases in the country is still huge. And 300 is still small. But I'm very happy that at least we've been able to reach out to the um, 300 cases and are able to receive care uh, from the different national referral hospitals. Yeah. So I think our, our care started from the National Referral Hospital, but we have kept on uh, decentralizing the services, reaching out to the different, um, different national, uh, regional and other hospitals in the region. Yeah.
0: So I think that's an amazing achievement. I'm really delighted to hear you say so many people have been identified in a country that I'm also delighted to have been able to visit and much of it is very, very rural. So how do you find those patients and families that are so far away? And then how do you manage to look after them?
1: Uh, uh, We have been working with uh, different facilities to help us give services to these uh, patients. But of course we uh, encounter several challenges uh, on the side of the foundation and also on the patients. Uh, much as we have decentralized the services, uh, we find that again some of the patients are not able to access care. Um, first of all, because the uh, facilities in um, in uh, in different regions haven't appreciated really the presence of these patients, and uh, uh, sometimes they are hesitant on providing services because. Uh, probably they have little knowledge about the condition and uh, maybe they don't know the risks and uh, the challenges uh, the families are facing. So sometimes we have delayed treatment in some of our regional treatment centers because the health workers are, are not yet into the system and on top of the load, the daily loads they have in their facilities, they don't give much attention to the to our patients. But I'm very happy to, For um, I, of course I'll uh, give credit to, to some of the facilities that we have worked with and uh, are really picking, uh, really getting into the system. They are helping to, I, to disseminate information and give service. So when WFH sends donations, we send to these facilities. And of course we keep on monitoring, we keep on uh, encouraging the first the health workers in those different centers to fully support the patients.
0: Yeah, fabulous. So we've so far just talked about people he- with hemophilia.
1: Have you been able to diagnose other bleeding disorders? Uh, we have only diagnosed hemophilia, <laughs> but of course our message is we try to make it very clear to the health workers that uh, we are supporting people with hemophilia, but we are also interested in other bleeding disorders uh, and we don't want to miss out other conditions. So uh, of course we haven't uh, diagnosed other disorders but I know they are there and we are trying to really get into involving health workers to also to uh, help us identify people with other bleeding disorders.
0: And I think you told me that you had a little boy who had developed an inhibitor to factor eight. How did you work that out and what are you able to do now for his treatment?
1: Yes, we have um, not only one, we have now three patients uh, who have inhibitors and I'm very happy that we, they have been put on emisizumab. Uh, they are properly managed at, at the National Referral Hospital. But of course, we, we, we are suspicious. We think there may be other people with, uh, with inhibitors, but these are the cases that are we have confirmed uh, uh, to date. And they are managed at the National Referral Hospital with emicizumab.
0: And what impact has that made on their quality of life and that of their families?
1: Uh, of course, uh, before we they were put on a Mrs. Map, it was uh, really difficult for them because every time these patients were having issues, uh, bleeds, and there were no solution. Of course, we had um what uh, it, <laughs> but uh ever since we put them on a Mrs. Map, the families are happy about this new treatment, and uh they are happy to comply with the treatment regimes, yeah.
0: And are the families able to do that treatment at home or do they
1: have to come to the hospital? Yes, we still have to do it from the hospital. <laughs> uh, for example, Adrian has to travel from, from Masaka about 150 kilometers to Mulago. but we are trying to, to use the technology to sensitize the health workers at at his regional referral hospital, so that is managed from his regional referral hospital. But of course, we're a bit scared on uh, sending it to the other periphery hospitals. And But it's one of our plans to make it happen from their regional referral hospitals, not at home at the moment, we are,
0: Yeah. And the last time I was in Uganda, which was quite a long time ago now because of COVID, you were sending fat rate out on the bus to the local bus stop with somebody taking care of it and keeping an eye on it. Is that how you're getting that treatment out to those regional centers?
1: Yes, we put on the bus, even yesterday I put on the bus. <laughs> so we put the cold, uh, we have ice bags, packs that we put in our boxes and put on the bus. So the buses will travel for some period of time. And when it gets to the region, uh, the contact person is able to receive it. So for this treatment of emicizumab, uh, I don't know whether it was, uh, I got you rightly, but for emicizumab, it's at the hospital. Then the factor eight or factor nine, we, we give some of our patients who are able to infuse and keep safely the medicine. So they use the centers and, uh, and home, we have home base. But the buses are still travel, moving with our medicine whenever it gets to the national referrals towards, yeah.
0: It's a real shame that this is a an audio hearing podcast and not a visual seeing what happens because the country is beautiful, the people are beautiful, the roads are terrible. <laughs> so even to go a very short distance is not easy. So the fact that you're able to get that factor out to those children and adults that live far away is amazing and is, is inspirational really, so well done for that. Can you tell us what your hopes are for the next two, five years for haemophilia care in Uganda?
1: Uh, well, uh, our hope uh, would be have seeing government fully involved in the treatment of, and management of uh, patients because we, uh, our national health policy agenda hasn't included haemophilia. So we hope to see that we are also on the list of the conditions uh, on on the health agenda, maybe it will help us expand care and also ensure sustainability because we are entirely depending on on, on donations. Without Kates, without uh, Wfh, someone so many people out there uh, come in to support our programs, but we 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 are uh, at one time we don't know whether Kate will be there or Wfh. So It's our uh, hope to see government getting involved into care for the hemophilia patients and identifying so many of the patients. We want to turn that 98% that is not identified into the identified cases, 100% cases identified in the country and uh, the children are able to receive treatment on time, uh, empowered to advocate for themselves, empowered to take care of their um, daily needs as because this is a chronic condition, they have other uh, challenges in their family. So we would wish to see the patients uh, uh, empowered to support themselves. And also health workers fully into support of these patients, uh, with their capacity built and um, Able to offer services rightly. That would be one of uh, some of the things that I would see, that I would like to see in somewhere, in some time there. (laughs) Yeah. You
0: you just talked
1: a little bit then about
0: um, the humanitarian aid that you get from WFH. So I know that with the pandemic, much of that wasn't able to get through. Did that have a very big
1: impact for you? The WFH uh, really tried to send medicines, even during the hard times, we were able to receive the medicine. But it the challenge was sometimes on our side, in the first days of the pandemic, where we would fail to, to take our medicine to the different regions because taxes were stopped, buses, we had some of the buses we are not traveling, so it was a little difficult. But um, Luckily, we had uh, gotten our car, our hemophilia van, <laughs> We would try, drive to the different places and people's homes who contacted us and really needed uh, our support. So it was hard, a bit hard. But as we moved on, we learned on how to, we tried to seek authorization from Minister of Health to continue providing services to our patients. Yeah. And tell us a little bit more about your haemophilia van. Yes, the haemophilia van uh, was donated by Freeman, John Freeman. Uh, uh, When was that? I think it was around 2017, 2018, somewhere there. Uh, We were spending a lot of money on hiring uh, vans to, to when we are traveling for outreaches, when we need to do mobile clinics. We needed to hire. But now we are able to Uh, to to conduct activities, to travel to different places, to deliver medicine without without encountering so many challenges and expenses. We just need to fuel our van and then go wherever we need to go. So we want to thank John Freeman for supporting us, yeah. And I know that you always do really exciting
0: things for World Haemophilia Day. So what are you planning on doing this year?
1: Uh, well, this year's World Haemophilia Day is um, is going to be another huge activity. We have planned to conduct it in, to commemorate it from the Western region. Uh, uh, when we look in our database, we see the number in the Western region is is, significantly increasing every time and again. And uh, we, we would like to, to identify many more cases using this uh, the event. And we have been uh, celebrating it from the central region. So this time we thought we needed to go to the Western region and we have a number of activities uh, that we have planned to conduct. One of them is sensitization of health workers, uh, local community leaders. uh, uh, There are other organizations working with the districts, the Rotary Club. Uh, Yeah, so we are bringing on board so many different stakeholders because we know the theme. We are trying to engage government, but we need to work with the different stakeholders that may add uh, a voice on our advocacy. Uh, so we have, we, are, we intend to conduct a number of activities. We have already secured a letter from Minister of Health uh, to, that is authorizing us to uh, be hosted in the Western region. So it will be massive, uh, <laughs> though it is still within Easter time, but I'm sure we shall have a, a great impact in the Western region. Yeah. And the team has really shown is very positive. So we don't want to water down the the efforts of the health workers in the Western region. Yeah, Yeah.
0: I look forward to seeing what you get up to and how many new patients you find. That sounds very exciting.
1: Yeah, it's our prayer.
0: So you personally are also doing a project at the moment, aren't you, around people with haemophilia? Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you're up to?
1: Yes, um, um, <laughs> I'm pursuing my master's degree in, um, uh, in public health. And uh, one of the requirements is uh, publishing something on, on anything of your interest. And my interest is definitely hemophilia. And uh, I'll, I'll be looking at uh, factors associated with acute uh, with delays. Uh, in, uh, with patients with acute bleeds. We have seen so, so many times that patients fail to report on time. And uh, we don't know why they are delaying to come and seek treatment. Uh, uh, much as their services at the referral hospitals, but again, there is that lack of, that untimely uh, behavior among our, health, our our patients. So. I would like to know why, what is the problem? Why aren't they attending care on time? Because we want to know what what could be the cause to come up with a a better or strategic solution to improve on on our patients seeking behaviors. Uh, Kate can also testify, has seen so many patients with uh, joint deformities and uh, maybe probably that could be one of the reasons because they come for treatment when it is late. So we would like to to know why to come to come up with a better solution and also engaging Ministry of Health. We don't want to speak without uh, uh, research without informing informed. Um, yeah, so that is my. Aim. And that's the reason why I'll call upon so many other people out there to join this, uh, to come and we do research. There are so many areas that haven't been, been explored and that is the best way we can help our patients because we shall be able to make informed decisions, yeah
0: and i think that's really important one of the things that i find so upsetting when i've been to africa not just to uganda but many places in africa is seeing the children who are disabled because that's not what i see here in england because they can access treatment quickly and they run around and play football just like everybody else whereas many of the children i've seen in uganda have had particularly horrible knees and ankles and it must be so painful and yet, they're so stoical and such lovely children that they just get on with life, don't they?
1: Yeah, we
0: we yeah. need to try to make that better.
1: Yeah, well, I think it, is, it could be even a problem of, of the patients not knowing what, what, what would be the repercussions. So it's uh, really an opportunity even to educate the patients about what could be the result, what could be the impact of delayed treatment, yeah. Yeah. and I think to add value to yeah. yeah. Great, so
0: I don't have any more questions. Is there anything else you want to add, Avi? Uh,
1: I would like to thank all our partners for the continued support. We, rec- we have received different kinds of support from the different uh, partners. Um, I, w- I want to take this opportunity to thank you so much on behalf of the patients, on behalf of Hemophilia Foundation, where we cannot, of course, thank you enough, but we are very, very grateful for the support that you have continued to provide for these patients. There are times when I think about um, our family, the hemophilia family, and I imagine how would this patient survive with us, without the support of, of these uh, kind people how would they get to the hospitals? There are times when church has provided transport. There are times where WFH has continued to provide um, treatment, save one life, novel no-disc. So the different stakeholders, we have uh, well-wishers, Eddie, John Freeman. The list is, is just long, I cannot mention everyone. But please, from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to thank you so much for the support. And uh the message I received from the patients, uh they already say it in our local language. <laughs> oh, well, Mue- the, local the local language is okay. fabulous. <laughs> thank you so much.
0: Agnes, thank you. That was a really lovely podcast and it makes me think very fondly of all of those bumpy roads that you're sending your factor in the bus along to reach those patients who live in very rural areas, even if they're not very far from the cities. I think you're doing amazing work and hopefully you'll be able to continue that into the future. And certainly the WFH um, World Hemophilia Day this year is really what you've been doing. You really are integrating Inherited Bleeding Disorders into national policy. So well done and congratulations. Agnes has thanked her supporters and I would like to thank ours. HemeCast is produced by HemeNet and is made possible thanks to CSL Bearing, Shugai Roche, Sobe and Kida. If you would like to become a sponsor of HemeCast or if you're a listener with an idea for a future HemeCast topic, please get in touch with us through our website www.heemnet.com.